Explorable is a podcast about travel, disability, and inclusion. I'm Josh Loebner, Director of Strategy at Design Sensory. I'm co-host Toby Willis, Senior Product Manager for Inclusive Technology and President of the Ability Inclusion Movement at Expedia Group. We're both blind. And we love everything travel. This is Explorable. We interview experts, advocates, and allies of tourism, destinations, and disability to make each journey more explorable. Hey guys, welcome to Explorable, the premier podcast when it comes to disability, travel, accessible tourism, and everything else connecting with the outdoors, hotels, airlines, and so much more to ensure that people with disabilities can go where they want to. We've got an amazing podcast and guest today, but first I just want to check in. Toby, how are you doing today? Hey, Josh, I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. Great. And Craig, how are you doing? You know, I got to be honest with you, Josh, every day is a great day. So I'll just tell you, look at it. So I'm doing great. Thanks. That's awesome. That is great. So today's guest, everybody, is Craig Kennedy. He's program coordinator and lead trainer of the Open Doors organization. And Craig has more than 20 years of experience working with people with disabilities, disability travel and tourism, and most importantly and significantly for everybody listening, disability rights advocacy and legislation. That's super significant. Craig, welcome to the show. We are super thrilled you're here. We'd love to hear a little bit more about your background before we dive into the questions. Sounds good, man. Yeah, no, I'm excited to be here. Thank you guys for having me for sure. I love doing this kind of stuff. Um, for those of you guys that don't know me, which is most of you, I am a wheelchair user. You can't see that from the pictures here, but uh, I broke my back skiing. Um, I live out in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, which is a just a beautiful place. I'm in Northwest Colorado. It's a worldwide destination for skiing. Um, so it's an amazing place. And I get to tell people like, you know, I go out for work or I travel and I get to come home to, to vacation, which is a pretty cool thing. But I broke my back skiing 25 years ago. That's why I'm in a chair. Um, I was, I remember being in the hospital and the impetus that got me to move back to Steamboat afterwards was my mom came into my room after being there for a few weeks and said, Craig, I got this great idea. I think you should move home and I'll take care of you. And that was the moment that I decided I'm moving back to Steamboat. Um, and the people here took care of me. They had fundraisers for me. It's just a, an amazing place to be. Um, so, you know, I spent the next few years, uh, next two or three years, just kind of adjusting and getting back into life and getting over what I called my angry years um, and just, you know, adjusting to life in a wheelchair, if you will, because um, it was a huge change for me, a guy that was really active. I was in my early 20s. So it was a huge change for me. Eventually, after a couple of years, I got back to work. I went to work at the Sheraton here in town, answering phones, just basic I love customer service so much. I eventually went out to the concierge desk and started running that for a couple of years. Then I ran a high-end spa here, really just staying in the um, the tourism industry, if you will, which I grew up in in upstate New York in a little town called Lake Tours, New York. And I had this opportunity while I was running this spa. Uh, I had met my now wife, girlfriend at the time, Andy, and we had this dream to travel around Colorado and write a book about it write an access book we had been to alaska together 
And it really opened our eyes because even though people said it would be accessible, it wasn't necessarily. So we decided to write an accurate adventure travel guide for people with disabilities. And we started our company called Access Anything. Um, so we published a couple of travel guides, um, Access Anything, Colorado, Adventuring with Disabilities, not still in print. If you want a copy, I can get you one. Um, you know, everything's digital these days. Uh, and then I did a bunch of interviews with some of my heroes like Mark Wellman and Eric Weinmayer and Sarah Will and some of these people and did a book on motivation and how to travel. Um, after we closed those doors, I actually went to work for a local adaptive sports program called um, STARS, Steamboat Adaptive Recreational Sports. Amazing chapter in my life, eight years of getting to get out on the ground floor of starting, running and growing an adaptive sports program here in Steamboat Springs, Colorado as the program director. Um, taught kids and adults how to ski. I ran about 20 uh, programs for veterans, injured veterans every year. Really amazing, fulfilling part of my life. Eventually got burned out on that. Working in the nonprofit world was a little tough when you're living in a resort town, uh, but I still love it. I'm still connected to the program. And then, you know, in the meantime, I had done a bunch of consulting and work with uh, Open Doors organization over the years just as a contract employee. And I went back to work for them and I'm now a program coordinator with them and I travel around the world basically training disability experts for airports and airlines is the bulk of our business. Obviously, that's a little slow right now. We're in the middle of training 10,000 Amtrak employees right now on handling customers with disabilities. So I've actually, I'll talk more about that, but I've been traveling for the last few weeks. I've been back on the road, which is nice. Um, you know, everything I'm doing basically is around disability travel and selfishly, I want travel to be easier for everybody else. So that's why I work in this field and I get, I get paid to travel. It's kind of nice. Really appreciate you sharing all that, Craig, and wonderful for our lis listeners to hear, hear that story. Uh, I'm curious, actually, where is the last place you traveled pre-COVID and where do you want to go post-COVID? Uh, good question. Good question. Um, I, you know, I love traveling. I couldn't wait to get back on the road. Uh, but right before everything shut down, uh, we were actually in Madrid speaking at a, an international airline training conference. Uh, so I flew home from Madrid. I think it was March 6th. And they shut Europe down like about a week later. So I just snuck out of there in time. We had spent the last six months all over Europe from Amsterdam to Berlin. We had been in Dubai, um, Madrid a couple of times. Uh, so it was, the international part was really growing for us. So that came to a halt, obviously. Uh, I got back on the road the last week of July and the first week of August. Uh, we go back to upstate New York to Lake George to see my family every year. So we all quarantined and got our tests and came together in Lake George and quarantined at a private beach at our lake house for a couple of weeks, which was, which was really nice. It was a tough quarantine, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, that was my first trip back on the road. Um, and I've been traveling almost every week since, actually. I've been to New Haven, Connecticut a couple of times. I'm going there again on Sunday. Uh, I've been to Boston. I've been to Portland, Oregon, where it was very, very smoky. I was there for a week. Um, headed to Philly in a couple of weeks. I've been to Albany, New York a couple of times. This is, and this is all Amtrak stuff. So, and we've got more trips coming up here. So I think we'll be traveling probably right through probably a week before Thanksgiving is when, you know, people kind of stop doing things for a month and a half or so with the holidays. So Craig, Amtrak has, has, you know, been in the news, uh, 
lots of positive things going on with the U.S. rail system, but there are some uh, potential uh, bumps in the road. I wonder if, if you could maybe touch on some of the ways that Amtrak is trying to improve not only their image, but uh, how the Open Doors organization is really helping to train the, the Amtrak teams to from a best practices standpoint for disability inclusion? So, you know, that's a great question. Thank you. That's exactly what we're in the middle of doing right now, which is why we're training all 10, like around 10,000 employees from top down, from directors uh, and upper management all the way down. Really, the purpose is to, uh, the biggest thing for me is that people are comfortable around people with disabilities. Now, I read a study in the UK from a few years ago, and, and at the people they, that they surveyed, like 60 some percent of them were uncomfortable interacting with a person with a disability, which is kind of shocking to me. You know, so I think a big part of what we're doing is making sure that when a guy like me rolls into a room full of 100 people in a wheelchair, that they actually see me and they're, oh, gosh, you know, he's in a wheelchair, too. But that doesn't really matter. But they saw the person first. That's not usually how it is. But we want people to be more comfortable. So we're giving them the tools, um, uh, you know, etiquette training, sensitivity training. How do you talk? And it's no secret. You know, I always ask my classes, do you guys know the big secret? How, how do you treat a person with disability? And they always get it right. You treat people like with disabilities like everybody else. That's not rocket science. Treat people like people, see people as people. Uh, and, and that'll go a long way. But really, that's what we're trying to do is just make sure people are comfortable and, and have the confidence to deal with situations when they come up. You know, so that's really what we're doing. Greg, I'd like to talk a little bit about your work and mm -hmm. um, the Open Doors organization. Can you share with, with our listeners what the mission is of the Open Doors organization? Yeah, very simply, to make goods and services more accessible for people with disabilities and travel and tourism. That's what we do. We work with any kind of disability transportation, tourism, hospitality. Um, you know, like I said, the bulk of what we do is in airports and airlines, training disability experts under the ADA. And if you guys are familiar with the Air Care Access Act is the law that covers you when you're actually on the airplane and in the sky. Um, we've done sensitivity and customer service training for motor coach, for cruise ship industry, for the airlines, for the trains, taxi services. We do disability training for Uber and Lyft. I mean, we're tied into to everything to do with disability travel and tourism, basically. Um, my big thing is I'm, I'm one of their lead trainers, so I got to train the trainers and actually go to these different towns and train people. Um, I can train CROs, which is a complaint resolution official for the airlines, um, disability experts for the airports, right? So they're, they're, they're whoever handles their disability complaints um, and their disability manager, basically, at the airport. Um, just really any kind of disability training, to be honest with you. I love it. I get, I get to I basically get paid to travel is what I tell people. It's a good gig. That's my, if you want to read my life's business plan, it's very simple. That's what it says. <laughs> get paid to travel. Yeah. So I'm wondering, you know, to that end, uh, Craig, what do you need? What does uh, Open Doors organization need from hoteliers and vacation rental property owners, uh, activity operators, destination uh, marketing organizations, every, everyone uh, on that side of the house, what do you need from them to further the Open Doors organization's mission? Oh, good question. Um, you know, cooperation, openness to change, you know, are some of the big things. I, I think one of the big misconceptions is that being more accessible costs a lot of money. 
and it, and it typically isn't that situation. But when you say those little those three little letters ADA, people don't think of the American Dental Association, right? They think of the Americans with Disability Act, and they're immediately up in arms, like, well, you know, I'm grandfathered in, and there's a lot of excuses. It's really just a fear. You know, I used to do this seminar called "Taking the Fear Out of the ADA," so that people were just more comfortable. It's just three little letters that says somebody with disability has rights, right? And if you want them to spend money in your place, might be a good idea to be accessible. And for the listeners that we have who travel with disabilities, like Josh and myself, and and you as well, uh, what what can we do as a community to further that mission? Oh, great question. I think a big part of it is just getting out and traveling. I think a couple of things. Number one, if you're a traveler with disability and you don't travel that often, be prepared to travel. You know, I hate I hate to even put anything back on people with disabilities, but I think in my experience, a lot of times we as a traveler are not fully prepared to travel or don't know quite what we need yet, haven't adapted to it. Um, so, you know, being more prepared on your end is a good thing. Uh, I would love it if people with disabilities would call the airline or Amtrak or whoever it is and say, hey, I have a disability, this is what I need. Now we can't require it because nobody else has to call in advance and tell them they're coming. That's not equal, right, under the ADA. But when I travel, I give as much information as I can because it, it makes my life easier and it makes everybody's life easier. So I think sharing of information is really important. I also think that the attitude we bring is important. Um, I went through a phase early on in my disability. I told you I had my angry years. Um, and I notice this with with all people, but especially sometimes with people with disabilities, there's a there's a sense of entitlement. And I used to go around expecting people to get out of my way, say in a grocery store just because I was in a wheelchair. Right. And some guy called me out on it one day and he said, hey, man, what's what's why are you so important? You know, why should I get out of your way? And from that moment on, I stopped that attitude of, hey, I'm disabled. I expect this. It's really you get more with sugar. You know, if we truly want equality, then we'll act like everybody else as well. Does that make sense? I know that sounds kind of harsh, but I really think you should be more prepared and have a better attitude while they're traveling and, and realize that, hey, if you're nice to people, people will do stuff for you. I am so nice to the ladies at the desk. You know how often I get bumped up to first class? Fairly often, especially now the planes aren't necessarily full. You know, so I think those are three big things for me. Yeah, get out there, be seen, be positive, represent well. And, yeah, and be prepared. I, and, and you said um, you you touched on a point that I really appreciate and and it's like sharing information. So, so talk about your travels to, to your community and that um, inherently raises awareness for the uh, able-bodied community and, and for these uh, travel uh, service providers to, uh, to, you know, to see that we are active, we are out there traveling and we do have a good attitude and, about it. And we have money to spend. We have power in numbers. So and we're over a billion people worldwide. In the U.S. alone, I'll talk about our study here at some point. I know that is going to come up today. But, um, you know, we, we've done several market studies on people with disabilities and people travel. In the U.S., the 80-some million people with disabilities um, take a lot of trips, spend a lot of money. And more importantly, we have well over $200 billion in disposable income to spend, i.e. the money you have after you pay your bills. Mm -hmm. Right. So we know this number is out there. We know people have money. So. 
why wouldn't you want to be more accessible? Let's take a deeper dive, Craig. You mentioned the study or studies that Open Doors organizations uh, develops, and, and you're one of the few organizations that really taps into insights and information for uh, destination marketing and and disabled travelers. Tell us a little bit more about those studies and maybe an interesting uh, tidbit of insight or two. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a, the, where I want to start is I think there's a bunch of myths out there about people with disabilities. And some of the basics want, basic ones are um, people with disabilities make up a small part of the population, right? People actually believe this. The most recent CDC study, 2018, over 85 million people, 27% of our population. So we know that's not true. People with disabilities don't get out much. That's another thing that people think, oh, he's in a wheelchair. He probably doesn't go anywhere. Uh, disability travels at an all-time high. Our most recent study saw 27 million travelers took 81 million trips and spent almost $60 billion just on their own travel. And that is up. That's almost doubled from 2015. So disability travel has been at an all-time high. And you know because you can access anywhere in the world now in 24 hours, people with disabilities and more people with disabilities with more severe disabilities and big, huge, you know, power chairs, they're getting out and traveling. And that's what's really opening people's eyes. Um, the other one is that, um, and I already mentioned, you know, people with disabilities are poor and it's not true. I think the actual number is over 220 billion in disposable income. So again, we have buying power in sheer numbers, right? And we're gonna get out there and travel. So those are some of the myths, you know, some of the other, some of the other things, I think what happened with us is that we realized a long time ago, and when I started my initial consulting business called CK Consulting, I was going around to my friends here locally and saying, hey guys, you know, I just started this consulting business. I want to help you be more accessible. It's the right thing to do. It's the law. And they're like, I don't give a crap. Show me how I can make money and I'll listen to you. These are friends of mine. So they're being brutally honest with me. They're like, whatever, Craig, show me how I can make money. That's when I met Eric and, and experienced their first study. I said, okay, here's the stats. Here's what people are doing. Here's where people are going for the first time. And right now, especially people are all over the world are realizing that people with disabilities are a viable market. Nobody ever saw us as that before. They saw us as a burden, not a viable market. I would argue that people with disabilities are the largest untapped tourism market in the world today. Un, no doubt about it. And not just in tourism, untapped resource, right? Because people with disabilities have a lot to offer. They just don't often get the benefit of the doubt. So our most recent poll was just um, June to July, 2020. Um, it was done through Harris poll and it really, you know, it looked at the frequency patterns, expenditures of what people with disabilities, adults with disabilities in the U.S. are doing. I'll just read a couple of the other stats in here I saw that stood out to me. 70% of adults with disabilities traveled a long distance, right? So that's just not in the U.S. maybe, that's even international travel. Um, 38% of adults with disabilities took at least one flight spending $11 billion, which is a $2 billion increase from two, 2015. So we're out there, we're spending money and hopefully people are starting to see us as less of a burden and more of a contributor to the economy. Those are significant data points. Uh, yeah. is there anywhere, uh, individuals can access that information or is it uh, proprietary? It is proprietary. I know they sell the study. Um, I'm sure that I can share some of that stuff with you. I'll check with the office and see what they're willing. It literally just came out. Press release just came out, uh, in the last couple of weeks here. So, and I'm, uh, for our international listeners and those of us who are privileged to work for global enterprises, are these numbers us 
based and and do you and do you have global figures um i do not so this is us based only um there are some global figures out there if you look for them i know the uk has done some studies like this in fact i thought i wrote down one of the yeah so one of the stats i did pull that that i've had in my just kind of my my head for a while um the european network for accessible tourism is something you can check out. Uh, one of the things that they say that they they estimate there's roughly eighty three billion dollars in euros out there up for grabs from travelers with disabilities. Wow. So that's a what if this is the potential for this market. Yeah. And if you think about even our stats, the average person with disability travels once a year to to all those billions of dollars. What if everybody just traveled one more time? And boom, you've got how many more billions of dollars in the market? That's the stuff that that shocks me, that's staggering to me, how much potential there is and how easy it would be to actually get there. One quick question I have, Craig, is is the um, Open Doors organization, of course, connects with everyone from, from Amtrak to major hoteliers to uh, attractions and, and all of this training. Can you share the level of um, businesses that, that you collaborate with? For example, if it's an independent hotel or an independent attraction, are those levels of uh, businesses that you you work with? And, and how would those or potentially larger major national uh, organizations that haven't connected with Open Doors, what are those steps to, to connect with you? Uh, for example, I'm based in Knoxville, Tennessee, and there's an independent uh, hotel that's here in Knoxville, you know, not not a major multinational uh, chain. Do you does Open Doors train those smaller businesses, or or is are there different levels that you typically work with? Yeah, so we definitely usually work on a much larger scale. For instance, um, I just led my first project for these guys. Um, we did a year and a half project with I Love New York, which is the state tourism authority. To be at, at, tourism authority for New York state, Empire State Development. And we surveyed 300 sites across the state, collected, collated all the data and presented it to them. I just turned in my final spreadsheet a couple of days ago. Um, so that that is more, and that's, that's small scale for us, to be honest. If we were looking at local small businesses, you know, what I would say um, one of the questions you had sent me talked about, you know, people are just starting to think about access where, you know, where do you get started? You know, what are the considerations on that level? Do you go to your local disability organizations, right? The first thing you should do is talk to an expert because we all know that it's way more expensive to fix it afterwards than it is to do it right the first time. Right. So talk to your local nonprofits here. I sit on the, uh, the board of directors for the Center for Independence, which is part of the independent living centers across the country. We deal with five counties. If people need accessible, the free accessibility device, we give it to advice, we give it to them. And that's true in almost every big and small town in America. There is some kind of disability organization that knows about access that will help you for free. And that's the place to start. You don't have to go out and hire necessarily an independent person like me that charges 110 bucks an hour for consulting. You know, you don't have to do that. You can get free advice on that level. Yeah, that definitely helps frame your organization and its connectivity. And I really do appreciate uh, the message that you just shared for those smaller businesses within the destination marketing or, or DMOs that are interested in in somehow taking that that first path of progress towards disability inclusivity. Right. And, and I don't know about you guys, but in my book, I have I consider things accessible. And then I also have this category of doable, 
which I'm pretty much doing because I don't want to get left out. I get FOMO. You guys know what FOMO is if you're missing mm-hmm. out. So, um, you know, I, I I think there's a difference between accessible and doable. And for I think for most people, if they're getting started with accessibility, think about the basics that don't cost much. Is your parking accessible? Is your entrance accessible? Is your bathroom accessible? And are your basic goods and services, can you get around the store? That's just start simple. And for most people with disabilities, they're not, unless they're out looking for problems, most people with disabilities are going to be okay with those few things because at least they know they can get in, go to the bathroom, and use your services if they need to, and there's a parking lot for them, right? Again, that's my opinion, but I think if you start there, um, that's a really good thing. The other big thing I recommend to people is make sure your website is accessible. There are, I don't even know, last year I heard a stat, there were like some 10, 15,000 active website lawsuits um, because of website accessibility, which again, shouldn't be considered a burden or an expense on your end. Um, I I wish I had the study up in front of me. If there's there's another part that says like, I think it was like 80 some percent of people with disabilities book stuff online and use online to get access to information and everything they need to know. So if your website is not accessible, say for somebody like Toby who needs a screen reader, then he's not going to spend money at your business, right? So, and there are, if you have a pretty basic website, which most small businesses do, there are free accessibility tools out there that you can run. You go do a search for it on Google, click on it. It'll, it'll test your site for free and tell you whether it's accessible or not. Easy, hard, no cost. You know, digital's, probably a more recent conversation that we're having in the uh, disabled travel community, you know, given that, as you pointed out, so many of us book online. Um, how has that, how has the accessibility conversation changed for you, Craig, over, over the years, you know, like what, how has the conversation evolved around accessibility and travel and what do you think uh, post COVID conversations will, will be like in the accessibility community? Yeah, it's funny, you know, it's 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 strange for me to think I've been talking for the last few months about how the ADA is turning 30 years old. And I realize that I've been in a chair for 25 years. But I only broke my back just a few years after we even had rights, you know, so it, it's it's funny for me to even think about that. But of course, 30 years later, we're still fighting for, you know, proper access. Um, but the conversation has definitely changed, you know, back in the day, um, you know, in the 80s and 90s, the airline industries were wealthy. They were making a ton of money. They weren't really worried about getting fined for violations for disability or whatever it was because they had so much money, it didn't matter. And then 9-11 hit, and now COVID hit. And now they really have to look at their bottom line all the time, right? So I can tell you from, from uh, personal knowledge that the average hub for an airline in the U.S., not the whole airline, but the average hub, spends between a million and a million and a half dollars a year on fines and by, on violations through the DOT and other things. Wow. It's a big number. Right? That's and this, ADA violations? Uh, not ADA, Air Carrier Access Act. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Thank you for yeah. correcting me. <laughs> yeah, Accessibility so violations. So that's the average airline hub spends about a million and a half dollars a year. You know, So the big thing that's changed um, – is that they are worried about pinching pennies now. So they are worried about all those fines and how do we get, how do we knock those fines down, right? So 
disability, I think you guys are probably aware, disability is on the world stage these days. You know, between the Convention on the Rights for People with Disabilities, CRPD, that people know about, uh, that was in 2006 that got passed. Since then, 180 countries have ratified it, 162 have signed it. So at least they're aware and the world now knows that they want to be more accessible. Uh, I mean, good for Open Doors, they're turning to the U.S. who has great disability legislation and saying, hey, we've got this law now. Can you help us figure out what we actually need to do? Right, which is why international travel was growing so much. Uh, and then, you know, IATA last year, their 75th General Assembly had, had this big resolution on people with disabilities. They actually said, I want to read this to you. Airlines were ahead of their time when 50 years ago we set out, we set out standards to ensure passengers with disabilities had access to air travel. But now we need to go further. The numbers of persons with disabilities traveling by air are set to increase significantly as populations expand and grow older. We applaud the UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. With today's resolution, the industry is committed to ensure that passengers living with disabilities can travel safely and with dignity. This is International Air Transportation Association, IATA, worldwide, a lot of power, and they just announced this to the world. This is really good for us, really good for us, because again, access and disability are on the world stage now, so people are paying attention. Craig, you have given us so many data points and insights in this in this interview. This has just been phenomenal. Uh, and, and I'm just going to ask this, where can people either connect with you personally in your social media, or, or if you prefer, how can they connect with Open Doors? Absolutely. So, you know, um, if you want to get a hold of me directly, I'm on Facebook for sure. Um, I think I'm Craig Pease and Patrick Kennedy on there. Um, that's my main thing. I don't do Instagram. I'm not really on Twitter, although Open Doors is on Twitter. Eric is very proud of our Twitter account. Uh, and um, uh, my email is just Craig, C-R-A-I-G, at opendoorsnfp, like notforprofit.org. Um, op and then that's the website as well, opendoorsnfp.org. Then I also have a personal website as well. You know, I still do a lot of local and in-state accessibility projects mostly. Um, and that's ckconsultingonline.com. Very eye-opening with, with a few of those data points that I think the listeners are going to really be interested in. So this has just been an amazing journey that you, you've been able to share with us today. So thank you so much. But I love meeting people. So if you're out there and you have disability and you want to connect, I will, I will accept your friend request, I promise. Thanks so much, everybody. This has been great. Craig, Toby, take care. Uh, this has been an Explorable podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Explorable is a Design Century original production in collaboration with the Travelability Summit and produced by Brad Carpenter. Find out more about our productions, podcasts, and insights at designcentury.com slash originals and travelabilitysummit.com. You can connect with Josh Loebner or myself, Toby Willis, on LinkedIn.